morning, Pathway Church. I can sort of envision you uh, in your PJs this morning with a cup of coffee, uh, preparing to worship together and sharing together. Uh, I can envision my friend Bill saying, I can't get the picture to come on. What do you need to do? Just kidding, Bill. We love you. Uh, It's so good to be here today. I realize people have different visions of what God is like and who God is. Some see him as the one who says, verily, verily, I say to you, and uh, you know, kind of stern in, in that way. But I think God has a great sense of humor. After all, we're made in the image of God, and, and some of us think we're funny. And so, you know, I think God enjoys humor. And I was thinking about 2 o'clock this morning when I woke up and there was no rain, and 4 o'clock when there was no wind, and I'm thinking it's happening again. Several years ago when I was in Kentucky, we were forecast to have a blizzard of five to eight inches of snow between 8.30 and 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Well, that would have been disastrous right during church, so we canceled services. You know what happened. There wasn't even a snowflake. It was a perfectly clear day. And I think God winked and said, gotcha. And this morning, I think he probably did the same thing. But we're grateful that uh, we were spared the storm, aren't we? And that he was gracious to us, and we're delighted that he was gracious to us. We're in the sixth week of our eight-week series on healing choices. And as we go through this series, we're kind of learning about how to become the person that God intended us to be and to fulfill this purpose that he has for us and to live the life that he intended us to live. And today we come to the healing choice of repairing relationships. Let's face it, we live in a world where if something's broken, it's almost cheaper and easier to throw it away than fix it, right? You know, it's, 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 we're kind of a throwaway society. But with God, every relationship is absolutely essential and important, and he doesn't throw anybody away. So this morning, we're looking at two of the Beatitudes as we're looking at this particular choice. Uh, in Matthew 5, 7, it says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And then in Matthew 5, 9, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are called, or they will be called the sons of God. Back in my pre-Brenda days, when I was, before she captured my heart, and I was dating in college, I had some bad habits, dating habits. I would usually, if, if I wanted to date on Friday night, I would call somebody on Wednesday night. You know, I thought that was plenty early to give that much warning. And so I called this girl I dated before, Glenda, and I asked her out, and she said, well, I already have plans. Well, I got a bright idea. I had met her sister, Imelda. She was a freshman, and she was kind of cute. And so I thought, well, I'll ask her out. It never occurred to me that sisters talk to each other. And so when I called Imelda, she goes, Steve, do you make it a habit of asking out sisters on the same weekend. That pretty much ended uh, the Imelda Glenda thing. Uh, You know, you get one shot with sisters. If you blow it, it, it's over. There's several areas of our life where you get one chance, and if you don't uh, grab it, you miss it. For example, if you borrow money from a bank or from a friend and you fail to pay it back, you're you're probably not going to get a second chance. 
If your job is dependent on this big project that you have been assigned to do and you don't finish the project, you're probably pretty much through. If you decide to have a party, you invite a lot of people over, and when you get there, they, you say, well, I, I think I've changed my mind. We can't do it this evening. Come back another time. Don't expect a big turnout the next time. Today, I have one shot to share with you this message, incredibly important message that God has given us. And if I don't do a good job, I could say, hey, hang around another 30 minutes. I can do better. The reality is the only people who would be listening probably would be the paid staff and my wife, and she's a little questionable about that. There are many, many areas of life where we get one chance. But with God, he's totally different than us. He's a God of second chances and third chances, even if we don't deserve it. When my boys were little, their favorite Bible story was Jonah and the whale. Remember that story? It's a story of uh, a man named Jonah that God asked him to go to Nineveh to preach to the people. Well, he doesn't really like Nineveh. So he goes to Tarshish, which is the opposite direction. Have you ever been Jonah? you ever gone the opposite direction of what God wants you to do? I'm not sure my boys really understood uh, the whole Jonah whale thing. They were more interested in how big was the whale and how cool it would be to be in a whale for three days. They thought that would be neat. But uh, if you remember the story, uh, Jonah heads out toward Tarshish. They got in the middle of the ocean. A big storm comes up and the boat's about to sink. And the people on board realize they have a backslidden preacher among them. So they toss Jonah into the ocean and this big fish comes and swallows him. Now, we usually say it's a whale, but technically the Bible calls it a big fish, a great fish. It says in Jonah 2.10, the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. And then that next verse of scripture in Jonah 3.1 is one of the most wonderful, amazing verses of scripture in the Old Testament. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Did you get it? He gets a second shot. It's called grace. He doesn't deserve it, but he got it. That, my friends, is the nature of God. A few years ago, Brent and I were shopping at a shopping mall in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, at the Butler exit, there's this big, huge open-air shopping area. And it was one of those typical July Florida days, it was 95 degrees and sweltering, so we were trying to get out of the heat. And we went into this little shop, and uh, we were the only customers that day. And so we had the full attention of the clerk. She was following us everywhere we went. And she commented on my T-shirt. Now, the T-shirt I was wearing had 70 times 7 on the front, and it had a fish symbol on the back. And I assumed from her question that Maybe she was a Christ follower since I'd had a lot of responses to that shirt when I'd worn it. And she said, nice shirt. And then she gave herself away. She goes, well, what does that 70 times 7 thing mean? And I told her that in the Bible, Jesus tells us that we're to forgive those who hurt us 70 times 7. 
And she looked amazed. She goes, that's in the Bible? Now, I understand her amazement. Forgiving is not natural for us. It is for God. We can't avoid the hurts in life, the ones that others cause to us and the ones that we cause to others. But for each of us, there comes a life-changing moment when we have to make a decision, an important decision. Are we going to forgive that person or are we going to live forever with a grudge on our heart? Let's face it, forgiveness is not easy. Lee Strobel makes this statement, if forgiving those who have hurt you comes too easily, you probably haven't forgiven them at all. You've just mouthed the words with no intent to change your heart. True forgiveness is a process. It's more than just repeating a few words and everything is right with the world. It's a process that takes time. The deeper the hurt the longer it sometimes takes. Forgiveness is not easy, and that makes Jesus' words in Matthew 18 even more remarkable. Earlier in that chapter, uh, Jesus had told the disciples to take the initiative in reconciling, in forgiving. And Peter, as he listens to Jesus' words, he asks this question, Lord, is there a cap on this forgiveness thing? And then he decides he's going to be very magnanimous. And he says, what if I forgive them seven times? That's way more than the law demands. That's far more than is required. And notice what Jesus says. Now I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some scholars translate it 70 times seven. Others say 77 times. Either one is a huge number. Maybe you feel like the clerk who was looking at my shirt that day in the store and saying, how can you possibly do that? How could that ever happen? Elizabeth Morris lived in a small town in Kentucky, December the 23rd, 1982 at 10.40 p.m. She received the phone call that every parent fears. Your son Ted was in an automobile accident and Teddy Morris at age 18 died and what made it worse is the 24 year old that hit Teddy Morris was a drunk driver and when he came to court he got off with just probation for the crime and Elizabeth and her husband Frank were devastated and Elizabeth began doing what many people do when a terrible tragedy has happened in our life She began to rehearse in her mind over and over again what could have been done differently. She ached for revenge. She turned bitter. She hated Tommy Panaji more than anyone in the world. She had dreams of killing the boy who killed her son. Her bitterness began to affect her life. Her relationship with her husband deteriorated. She stopped laughing. She stopped going out with her friends. It was an emotional cancer that was eating her heart. One day, the pastor was speaking on the last words of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit began to speak to Elizabeth. And she realized how she'd imprisoned herself, and slowly, not immediately, but slowly, 
she began to come back to life. She reconciled with her husband. And then they together took the unprecedented step of going to Tommy Panaji's home and asking him to forgive Elizabeth for becoming so bitter. And God began to do something amazing in Elizabeth's life. Her husband was on staff at the church. He was a pastor. And he led Tommy to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He baptized Tommy Benaji. He dedicated the children of Tommy Benaji. It was not unusual on Sunday morning for Elizabeth to sit with that family. And sometimes they had dinner after church. Elizabeth said these words. I can't tell you how good it felt to get on with life, to laugh again, to finally shake free from the anchor of hate and bitterness that weighed me down. I find that an incredible story. You may find that an impossible story. How could anybody ever do that? It just doesn't seem natural. And quite honestly, forgiveness is not a natural response. It's a God thing because we serve a God who is merciful and graceful and forgives. What is forgiveness? Many times the scripture tells us we're to forgive and we avoid that and skip that. And part of the resistance is our misunderstanding of what forgiveness really stands for. The word forgiveness literally means to give something up. It means I no longer hold your wrong against me or against you, against you. Doesn't mean we condone what they did. It does mean we cancel the debt. We give up our perceived rights to get even and to be justified. I sometimes hear people say, you haven't really forgiven until you forgot the offense. I don't believe that's true. I don't even believe it's possible. If, if you were abused as a child uh, sexually, if you lost a child by a drunk driver, you're not going to forget that. It's a, ter a, ter a terrible thing that happened to you. God can forgive us our sins and bury them in the deepest sea and remember them no more. But we learned week one, we are not God. So we still remember, but we're able to forgive. Forgiveness does not imply that we become great friends with our offender. What happened with Tommy and Elizabeth is a very unusual situation. If someone borrows money from you and doesn't pay it back, it doesn't mean when you forgive them that you have to loan them money again. If your spouse is unfaithful to you and you forgive them, it doesn't mean that you have to continue to allow them to be unfaithful in your marriage. What forgiveness does is release our hurt to God. It forgoes vengeance and getting even. So why should I forgive? Well, there's really several reasons and really all the reasons are for us, the victims of hurt. I show mercy, I forgive, because God has forgiven me. I love this verse in Colossians. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. 
Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The second reason is resentment just doesn't work. It, It really doesn't. Bitterness is the pill I swallow hoping the other person dies. Job says, resentment kills a fool and envy slays the simple. Job 18.4 says, you who tear yourselves to pieces in your anger. I like today's English version, how it translates that. You are only hurting yourself with your anger. Someone hurt you a long time ago. And you stew on that hurt and you go over it over and over again in your mind. But their lives have gone on. In fact, they may not even realize they have hurt you. Have you ever had somebody come to you and, and, and ask for forgiveness and you didn't even realize that they've been hurt? Your resentment does not harm the person. It harms you. It destroys you. And the third reason that we forgive is you will need forgiveness and the forgiveness of others in the future. Mark eleven twenty five 25 says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. You see, resentment blocks the path for forgiveness that God wants to give us, forgiveness that we need. John Wesley was told by a man that there was a certain person he could never forgive. To which Wesley replied, then I hope you never sin because we all need what we don't want to give. We all need what we don't want to give. So how do I forgive others? We've already said it's not a natural thing. It's a God thing. God working in us. We ask God to do in our hearts what we cannot do. It's an act of faith. He's the God of the impossible. So God, what it, we ask God for what is not yet and believe it as if it were right now. Hasn't happened yet, but we believe God's going to do it. Ask God how to separate the person's actions from the act that they did. And then you've got to release the offender. We don't wait for the offender to ask. We forgive for the reasons we just listed. God is a God of mercy. Resentment doesn't work. And someday, I too will need forgiveness. When's it possible? If possible, do it face-to-face. Obviously, there's some cases where face-to-face doesn't work. The person has died or You have some resentment toward your aged parents. You don't want to go in as they're, you know, in the nursing home and list all the things they did to you and say, now forgive me. You know, they are probably not even aware of what they did. So that's that's for you and not for them. But if you can do it, what do you say? I want you to know how you hurt me. Amazingly, as we said earlier, many people don't even have an awareness that they have hurt you. But I want to forgive you because God has forgiven me and because resentment only hurts me and because someday I too will need someone's forgiveness because I too am human and will hurt someone. So how will I know if I've forgiven them? When you pray, you don't pray they die. (laughs) You you pray for their well-being. When thinking of them, it's no longer painful. It doesn't make you angry. 
And that takes time. Now, there's a step that goes beyond forgiveness that is often ignored, and that's what I call repairing relationships. Sometimes we have been the one who have hurt someone else, and how do we repair that relationship, and why is that important? How do we make amends? Listen to Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24. If you're standing before the altar in the temple, offering a sacrifice to God, singing praise songs and lifting our hands, and suddenly you remember someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there beside the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and make your sacrifice to God. Here's this person in worship, but what it's saying in Matthew is that you can't really worship until you get rid of that stuff that's between you and a person. The principle is this, blessed or happy are the peacemakers. How does it work? One of my favorite scriptures is Romans 12, 18. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In other words, I can't control your reactions and you want to argue and if you want to fight and constantly do that, that's your choice. It will not be my choice. One of the reasons I find church fights so distasteful is that we're called as Christ followers to live in peace. So do I make, how do I make that peace? How do I make those amends? Well, you make a list of people you've harmed, and you're already pretty good at that because we made a, a, a very honest list of people that we've sinned against a few weeks ago. And uh, if you can't think of anybody that you've harmed, let me give you a few questions that might help you. Is there anyone that I owe a debt to that I have not repaid? Family, friends, business? Is there anyone I've broken a promise to? Spouse or a child? Is there anyone I'm overly possessive of, a spouse, a child? Have I been verbally, emotionally, or physically abusive to anyone? Have you ever lied to anyone? After reviewing those questions, make your list. Share those amends with your accountability partner to make sure you're making the amends for the right reason, the right motive. For example, if you owe someone money, your accountability partner might help you lay out a way of repaying your debt. Now, let's face it, there are some hurts that we've done that we can't amend. If there's someone you had an affair with and they're not married and you are married, you should not approach them. What you should do is write them a letter asking their forgiveness and then you keep the letter. The person may have died. Again, you write a letter asking forgiveness, and again, you keep the letter. The purpose of all this is to set us free and, if possible, to restore broken relationships. And the most important relationship, of course, is our relationship with God. And when he sees the intent of our heart that we want to repair our relationships, he honors that. God is merciful. We will all be hurt we will all hurt someone, and forgiveness is God's path to our healing. One of the deepest hurts in my ministry occurred about 18 years into ministry. 
we had this great couple in our church that, that uh, we were so close to. We did lots of things together. One evening, they asked me to meet with them. They told me that God was calling them to a different church, another church. I was devastated. I was hurt. And then my hurt became anger. I wrote a letter to them reminding them how much Brenda and I had invested in their life and invested in their family. I still have the letter. The Holy Spirit would not allow me to mail it. I chose to forgive, but it still hurt. Years later, they came to visit us in Florida. They had no awareness of how much they had hurt us. I was, it was very obvious to me they had no clue. Instead, they wanted to tell us how much our ministry had meant to them. I'd taken the, the man in this relationship on, a, on some missions trips, and the new church he had gone to, he had taken over 200 people on mission trips. And he said, I wanted you to know the impact your ministry has had far beyond the church you're serving. And I remember thinking, God does not waste our pain. I was so grateful that I had not chosen the path of bitterness. It's one of those rare moments that God revealed what he was up to, and I could see his hand, and I didn't have to wait till I got to heaven to see it, and I was so grateful for that. You see, God's healing path for you today is the path of forgiveness. Would you pray with me? Father, we will all be hurt, and we know that we will all hurt someone someday. And your antidote to this deadly virus, bitterness, that has invaded our culture, hatred that has invaded our culture, your antidote is forgiveness. So we're trusting that you will not waste our pain. This morning, we choose the healing path of forgiveness. And we choose it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Church, let's respond. You may not have an altar, a physical altar in your home, but I suggest to you that an altar can be a posture of your heart towards Christ and how he's used his word to impact your life this morning. So as we sing and as we close our time together, um, maybe think about the forgiveness you need to offer in your life and how Christ can do that through you and in you.
to you it requires us to also take on the attributes of Christ the fruit of the spirit Lord in that fruit we know we need to forgive others we need to love others as you love us And so Lord if we are holding anger frustration angst against another oh Lord illuminate it in only the way you can in a gentle loving manner in which we can see oh we need to exercise Matthew 5 23 and 24 I need to go to that person I need to attempt to make it right and forgive them and not hold on to that Lord free us from bondage of of unforgiveness perhaps from, from years ago and we've just never forgiven that person Lord, give us freedom. Break those chains that hold us in bondage of, with unforgiveness. We thank you, Lord, for the, the incredible truth from your word. And we thank you that we can take it with us today, right now in this moment, and in, through the week. Oh, God, do miraculous things this week because of the new fresh bread we got this morning. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you, Pathway Church. Have a blessed week. Stay safe. And we'll see you next weekend. We love you.